Once again, viewers, it's time for Hit the Jackpot Double Ding Dong Time. And our entire cast is lined up. We have a fantastic collection of mystery guests for you. Incredible prizes. <laughs> Titillating slides. Adult films. 8mm type. Oh, oh. We have reading matter for the more mature members of the audience. Exploding cigars. Whoopee cushions as favors for the ladies. We have souvenirs for the children. <laughs> Come here, you little bums. show Frito Bandito. And he's brought along his friend, the Jolly Green Giant. Don't look so worried. It's going to work out. Nothing to worry about. After all, it's only fun and games. What is life but a vast stage upon which we are mere players? <laughs> Who said that? That was a very good line, aren't they? Who was it? The life is a stage and we are but mere players. Now, who was that said that? that was that uh, Was that Mike Douglas? I think it might have been Douglas. I think he was quoted recently in Time as saying that, wasn't it? We are but players. Yes, I believe that was Mike Douglas. Would you please uh, give me my hyena call, please? I want to salute hyenas wherever they might be tonight. Have you ever seen a hyena? Oh, you've worked for him, I see. Well, oh, yeah, there he's getting down. Get that snout down in the trough there, buddy. That's it. That's it. Snuff around. And reset that, please. We're going to need that. Because the animal kingdom is getting bigger and bigger. Have you noticed that every third show now is about saving some kind of animal on television? That's right. And have you noticed they always do the same thing? They always shoot them with some kind of a dart? I mean, there must be 17,000... 422 million animals out in Africa these days that are all hung on tranquilizers now. Getting shot in the haunch with that thing, you know. <laughs> I can see they're following Marlon Perkins around. Get shot with this. Yeah, well, you've seen that, haven't you? They do it from helicopters, from float planes, from tanks. Any place you can shoot, the poor old animal with a dart. Uh, yeah, animals, uh, animals are getting sick and tired of the whole damn mess, though. I might add, because we would like to salute a particular animal tonight, if we may. This is The show tonight is about animals. You don't mind? Now, I'm talking about real animals. I'm not talking about the kind that you and I have to deal with every day. I'm talking about, you know, walking around real animals. You know, the kind that uh, sniff around the bottom of fire plugs. You know that type. Although I know a friend of mine who has become so animalistic in his behavior that he himself has begun to sniff around the bottom of fire plugs. Terrible. But, uh, well, of course, I think mankind is slipping back into the great mire of, uh, of uh, the ancient barbaric cults. Don't you agree? You don't think so. Why are you wearing that strange cabalistic thing around your neck that's uh, supposed to keep away evil devils? Now, that's exactly the same thing that, uh, that those guys that hung around Stonehenge wore. I mean, you know, they weren't very advanced. I mean, uh, not, not really... 
And I would like to salute an animal here tonight in Philadelphia. I don't know how it turned out, but uh, from the AP, uh, we got the notification that they were having a, uh, a big cat contest down there, and there was one cat called Rotten Ralph, a cat that <laughs> has been under the care of a cat psychologist because he doesn't like people. What do you mean a cat psychologist? I would think that that would be probably the only sane cat around. I mean, I think any cat that does like people is in trouble. But uh, nevertheless, no, I do. Seriously, uh, they have, they were having a glamour of the year, kitty of the year contest. The glamour kitty of the year. Ralph and his other finalists will be heading for Miami Beach in July for a week in the sun, lay around the beach, and uh, they will have a judging to select the national glamour kitty of the world. It's all sponsored by a Philadelphia-based company. Uh, guess what? Makes cat products. The winning cat will get to appear on the company's packages for a year. And of course, you know, this is a big honor. I mean, uh, there's nothing the cat likes better than to have his map spread all over the supermarkets there in the pet food department. You know, <laughs> big cat of the year. Company officials say that nearly 3,000 cats were entered this year. The nine finalists were chosen here last week. Well, listen, you cat food company, I'm going to have to tell you a bad story that I also received a news note that there's a guy down in Jacksonville, Florida, who has a cat that refuses to eat cat food and, in fact, will eat only duck food. Duck food. Now, what the hell duck food is, I don't know, but that's what he eats. And he has a duck that won't eat the duck food, will only eat cat food. So he buys cat... <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, everybody's having trouble with identity crisis these days. And uh, I knew, believe me, I knew a Boston Terrier once, if you want to talk about animals. And I'll tell you, this Boston Terrier's name was Corky, which was enough to put him in the trouble right there. Any dog named Corky's got, you know, a lot of problems to explain to other dogs how the hell he got named Corky. But uh, nevertheless, this dog was named Corky. And uh, this uh, this kid uh, who owned this dog was named Lawrence. He has a very straight name, Lawrence, the kind that goes to Dartmouth, you know. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of people who have names like that. There's a certain kind of name that you associate with Eastern prep schools. Jeffrey is one of the bigger ones. There must be at least 800 Jeffreys going to Princeton. And uh, especially the one that spells it G-E-O-F-F. -F. Now, that's a special kind. That goes all the way back to the ancient Celts or Celts, if you prefer it. Uh, Jeffrey Lawrence, that's another one. That's a good one. And uh, there are several other names of that type, but uh, you hardly ever see anybody in Princeton named Clarence. No, no Clarences there. No Louis. No, 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 no Louis. Uh, there are several Jonathans. Now, that's a biggie. Uh, you never call a Jonathan Johnny or John. He, Jonathan, that's a very special name. His mother, by the way, believes very strongly in Sesame Street, too, and Dr. Spock. That's a whole syndrome. And they also own three Volkswagens. Uh, that's uh, the Jonathan family. But that's, that's something else we're getting pretty far afield here. <laughs> you know the type. And, of course, Jonathan goes off to school and winds up by buying obscene T-shirts, you know, and he has sweatshirts with phallic symbols on the back. Everybody's got a phallic symbol. The symbol means nothing, friends. Reality is where we pay off in the phallic world. Uh, oh, we're getting pretty far afield, aren't we, gang? So let's uh, let's have a commercial here to clear the atmosphere. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all right. It's okay. 
It's okay. You don't have to get down on your knees, gang. It's all right. All this is free. Just, just all you got to do is turn the knob. That's all. That's all. That's what that knob is there for. And uh, you can turn it anytime you want. In fact, we have a knob here in our studio, which you may not even know about. We have a knob in the studio that we can cut off thousands of listeners at will. So you don't think that you're just the only one that can cut me off, Dad. I can cut you off so damn fast, you wouldn't know what happened. All of a sudden, your radio's getting police calls. And uh, a lot of static and a lot of crackling. We is gone. And I think I know at least five of them out there I'm about to cut off. But uh, nevertheless, Rotten Ralph. <laughs> you want to hear about Rotten Ralph, the, the cat? He's a mean cat, I'll tell you. Uh, Rotten, <laughs> Rotten Ralph is a finalist in this thing. He's notable. Uh, there is one cat named Fraser in the finals. And the reason he's in the finals is because he looks almost exactly like a dog. <laughs> Is that any reason to get into the finals if you're a cat? I mean, that's like, uh, you know, the only reason this girl gets into the finals of, uh, <laughs> of the Miss America contest is because she looks like a dog. Now, it's true, many of them do, but I, I've not been able to explain that aberration. We'll have to talk to Bert Parks on that if we can stop him in mid-chorus, you know. There she is, Miss America. But uh, nevertheless, this, do this one cat is famous because this cat looks like a dog. Now, there are two cats that play the piano. Uh, one of them plays only classical music and, of course, is not as popular as the other one who uh, continually plays blues. It's a fantastic blues piano. He plays very, very much like Mead Lux Lewis. This is a very influenced by Mead Lux Lewis and uh, a touch of uh, James P. Johnson, who was a very famous blues piano player of years ago. Now, how this uh, cat got into James P. Johnson and Mead Lux Lewis, I do not know. However, the classical cat specializes in Baroque piano, uh, occasionally plays the harpsichord, and is not very popular with that slope-headed crowd in Philadelphia. Anytime anybody plays a harpsichord, he's going to lose the Philadelphia audience, especially if he plays Baroque music. So <laughs> if he could play Baroque rock, he'd probably get him there. But uh, nevertheless, there is one cat that is in the finals. We'd like to see this cat. Uh, he's fantastic because he does an imitation of John Wayne walking. Yeah, I'm, I don't make the news. I'm sorry, Terry. I only read it. I, I'm just telling you, he does an imitation of John Wayne. Now, <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, come, come to think of it, the... Uh, and there's a cat named Snowball who is a sentimental favorite because he's deaf. There's always one cornball finalist who gets in because they really, you know, they got some terrible physical affliction. I mean, that's a, that, that really bugs really talented cats. But the reason this cat is in the final is because he only reads sign language. And so, you know, everybody wants to see him. That doesn't mean he's anything else, no other talent. I mean, actually, he's pure dumb in some ways, <laughs> which reminds me, this is W.O.R. New York. did uh, my play uh, that was done on the, on the PBS network, December 23rd, The Phantom of the Open Heart. Well, that uh, has not only received uh, critical uh, acclaim, but, but I mean, it's been reviewed all over the country by thousands of newspapers, but in addition to that, it's just been awarded a major award, or at least it's nominated for a major award, the Critics Circle Award. And by the way, you can see this show. Uh, the Critics Circle Award is going to be televised from Hollywood uh, April the 11th, and I will be there, so you'll see me squatting at one of the tables with uh, 
with uh, Mia Farrow or somebody looking uh, looking nervous when they're opening the envelopes. But Phantom of the Open Hearth has been nominated in three categories for a major award. One, the best comedy program of 1976. Uh, the best comedy writing of 1976. And the third category is the best comedy performance by uh, the actor who played uh, the father in it, uh, James Broderick. I suspect there's going to be a lot of guys looking for work, though. Uh, very cheap work. Uh, have you, you, You've been reading about this gigantic flim-flam that took all kinds of showbiz types, you know, Andy Williams, 500 grand. You, did you really read about it? They had fake oil wells. They had one. They had a barn painted up to look like a, a, an oil pumping station, and they had a pipe that just went in a circle. And it, <laughs> did you hear about that? It pumped oil out of a tank, and it came around and went back into the same tank, you know. <laughs> and you came there, and you'd look, oh, look at that oil. My God, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's going around, you know. And uh, once in a while, I suppose some people ask, how come there was that mooing noise that kept coming out of that building? Actually, it was a disguised barn. But, uh, gee, you know, I, I kind of admire that kind of a flim-flam. That uh, $100 million, that buys a lot of good, soft, easy, fantastic living in Switzerland. Uh, it seems that Ralph, by the way, you want to hear why Rotten Ralph is, uh, is called Rotten Ralph? Instead of uh, purring, he snarls. And when he's petted, he has a habit of not only spitting, but tearing your finger right to the bone. Ah! You know, he reaches out. <laughs> and the psychologist is uh, trying to get him, you know, straightened up. In fact, he says one of the reasons that he's in trouble is because they do call him Rotten Ralph. He resents this. And so, well, you know, you would, too, if, if you walked in here, and every time you walked in, Herb, they said, you know, four guys got up and said, oh, God, here comes crummy Herb again. Ultimately, you, <laughs> the truth, uh, you know, would be very painful at that point. Uh, you know, it's like, here comes fat, slobby Herbie. Oh, wow, boy, does he smell. Whoa. Uh, at that point, you'd begin to get a little uptight, right? But uh, nevertheless, Rotten Ralph has had his name changed by the psychiatrist. Uh, so they started calling him Prince Rotten Ralph. At that point, he yelled even louder. Got a hold of a lady's ankle and held her for about 15 minutes, gnawed it down to the marrow of the bone. And so they've stopped calling him that. He's just plain rotten now. But uh, they don't even call him Ralph anymore. But <laughs> I'm for that cat. Would you please give me a salute to Rotten, please? Very good. The animals are getting mean, man. Cat a boy, Ralph. Don't take any crud from that crowd. Just because they're selling cat food. You know how cat food is, Ralph. You've had to eat that damn stuff. Ugh. Nothing smells worse than cat food. Of course, cats like it. That's the sad thing about it. No, I'm serious. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait, wait, wait. Let's let's raise a hand here. Now, now I'm, I'm going to be the first guy you're going to hear who's going to defend animal tastes. Now, we tend to think that animals, if given the chance, would be actually like human beings. How many commercials do you see where this nice lady shows up and she says, Yes, I get beef stroganoff dog food for little Pippi because... After all, she's more human than I am. You know, you've seen these commercials? What the hell makes you think a dog likes beef stroganoff? I mean, I don't even like beef stroganoff. I mean, what, why, uh, the point being here, the dogs are dogs, and cats are cats, right? And I know one dog, and I'm going to tell you, it may sicken you, I know one dog who likes nothing better than to find a four-month-old fermented fish under the weeds. 
at which point he rolls on it for ten minutes. And that ain't exactly brute. I mean, that, that ain't exactly the kind of cologne that you expect a, a, a thoroughbred dog to have, right? He loves to roll on dead fish that are fermented, after which he gets up and quietly scrunches down and has a meal of fermented elderly dead fish. It's about nine years old, right? Now, he'd love dog food flavored like that. <laughs> if you could bring him some, some rotten fish dog food, he would go out of his bird. Bird. Instead, what kind of dog food did they get? You know, dog food, beef stroganoff, chicken a la king. <laughs> he wants, ah, there's a dog, man. <laughs> he wants to roll. If you could, I know another dog. Now, now I'm going to tell you some terrible things. Now, I shouldn't tell you this. Now, uh, this, you're going to get the other, the other side of the Marlon Perkins syndrome. In other words, uh, animals are not exactly the way Walt Disney portrays them. Uh, I know a dog named Corky. I started to tell you that story, right? A dog named Corky who got absolutely hung on rabbit food. He loved rabbit food. Now, how did he get rabbit food? Well, Lawrence, the Dartmouth man, had a pair of elegant rabbits. Now, you know, you can, believe it or not, you can get rabbits that have got better blood than you got. And, uh, you know, pedigrees and all that jazz. And these two rabbits would sit in this cage, which was raised up off the ground, and they would get these rabbit pellets. You've seen these little rabbit pellets that look like little sort of a, kind of look like truncated aspirin tablets, kind of a, a hay-colored aspirin tablets or something like that. See, the rabbits couldn't stand it, you know. And every time they would get the rabbit pellets given to them in a little bowl, they would kick hell out of the bowl. And the rabbit pellets would fall down through the screen, and sitting under the rabbit pen there was Corky with his mouth open. <laughs> he just sat there, <laughs> and every time rabbit pellets would come down, he'd chop like hell. And of course, being rabbits, other things came down. And he began to develop a taste for that. Now, I don't want to get into this. Ultimately, it got so sickening that, friends, I, I, uh, I, I just don't see that kind of dog in the, the Walt Disney show. He got so that, the, that the, he, you know, he got more interested in used rabbit pellets than he was interested in rabbit pellets. So now, you want to hear that story? No, you didn't want to hear it, did you? Okay. We don't make the truth, friends. We only give it to you. And now I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you another story. Oh, I don't want to tell you that story. That was even worse. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Have you ever, have you ever had anything to do with alligators? I have. Yep, I have had plenty to do with alligators at one time in my life. And I'll tell you how it all came about. Again, it came about through the Army. I don't... Don't don't think for any minute that I have any nostalgia about the army. No way. In fact, I don't have any nostalgia about anything. I wish I did. You know, I I, I wish I was one of those guys that got all you know all puddled up his eyes and get all clouded up and say, oh boy, didn't they used to make great movies in them days? Oh come on. Any time you want to disprove that, just turn on the late late movie on channel two at four o'clock in the morning, and you'll see those Ronald Reagan movies coming out by the hour. And you, you know, they didn't make great movies. And if you think they made great cars in those old days, I had an uncle, my Uncle Carl, who absolutely, seriously, was driven to the edge of sanity. And in fact, on two occasions, went over the line because of an Essex he had. He just mentioned the word Essex to him, and he would start to get, the, his face would start clouding up and he'd froth at the mouth. And on one cold day in Chicago, Uncle Carl came out of the house 
He worked at the he worked at the streetcar company. You know, they had a streetcar company. They still have it in Chicago. So if you think that they don't have streetcars, you ain't been to Chicago recently. But now, you know, they were they were not really streetcars. They were these buses that ran around with the trolleys on the top. You seen those? Well, Uncle Carl drove one of those things, and uh, you know, it, he yeah, he did. He loved it. See. And uh, he had this great big green bus. He'd get in that thing, you know, and he'd sit there with aviation-type glasses on. He liked to think of himself as driving a four-engine DC-4 or something, you know. And he'd get in there, and he had a flight jacket and all that. He'd been in the Air Corps, and he liked to sit in the seat of this great big bus and pretend like he was driving a bomber over Cologne or something, you know. But anyway, there, that's all fancy. But the one thing that he had in his life that uh, I would say was even worse than his wife for making his life miserable. And you'd have to know my Aunt Min to know that answer, why that was true. Uncle Carl would come out every morning in the cold of Chicago winters and get hopefully into his Essex, thinking that he would get to work in the Essex. I have to tell you, have you ever had a car that wouldn't start in the cold weather? Have you, Terry? What does it do to your head after a while? You hate the damn... Well, no. Uncle Carter could not go back and go to sleep because that big green bus, route number 8A, was waiting to go out. <laughs> he couldn't go back. And one morning, one morning, fantastic. It's one of those great family stories. Old Uncle Carter, you know, in his Essex. And this Essex was about 100 years old, let's face it. It was, you know, it was, uh, had maybe 15 or 20 previous owners. And there were a lot of speculation in the family as to what kind of people owned it before. Have you ever had a used car, your own? And you've never owned a used car? You mean to tell me all of you come from new car people? I'm serious. You mean you've never owned... You have owned a used car. Well, all right, there. Thank you. There's an honest man in the crowd. You've owned a used car. Four used cars, okay. Have you ever had, had, had speculation in your mind when you're driving along a quiet highway late at night and you're in this used car yours and... Uh, quiet speculation as to what manner of creature owned the car before you and what went on in the car. Have you ever had that speculation? Yeah, I'll never forget the time that, that uh, a whole bunch of kids in the neighborhood, including Schwartz and about five guys, went in together to buy a used car on Stony Island in Chicago. And uh, this is, you know, this is a true story. They all, they all went down there saying they kept, they kept looking at this used car. And what it was was an old Packard you know what a Packard is, right? A great big... A Packard is not a professional football player. That is a Packer. This is a Packard. A great big son of a gun. A gigantic car. It was a four-door and had a hood about, you know, half a block long. Great big car. And it was way in the back of the lot uh, where friendly Fred, the hungry Armenian, the used car dealer, would keep his specials, you know, the stuff that he had for real marks that had come in, you know. He had a special uh, department in the back when he spotted a real sucker coming in, that's where you'd go, you know. So <laughs> he had this fantastic package. So they finally got together and bought it. And it cost uh, 175 bucks. And uh, they brought it home. Uh, actually, they had to push it home. The car did not drive. They were going to fix it up. <laughs> so that's what happened. Everybody got together, took the hood off, and took the took the head off, and they uh, we worked on it. And I was involved in it. We put a new uh, wiring harness in the thing. It was a whole the, the whole electrical system was shot on it. See, so we we worked on this thing for about three weeks. Finally, got it running. Great clouds of black smoke coming out the back, and we put in. Uh, we went down to uh, the Pep Boys, you know, Manny Mo and Jack, and we got this stuff that you poured into the poured into the carburetor. We're supposed to take the carbon out 
And all it did was uh, unbelievable smoke came out all over the neighborhood. You know, people were screaming and yelling, running out of the house. So we got the car finally running. And uh, we'd go to school every couple of days in this car whenever we could get the gas for it. This car used so much gas. I could see why it was sitting in the back there at 175 bucks. This car used so much gas that it actually used gas when it was shut off. It was fantastic. You put three gallons of gas in that car and not drive it with the, with the switch off. And two or three days later, you get in it, it's out of gas. It just used to sup it up there, you know, and swallow it and gulp it all the time. And so we would go out and get gas for this thing. Now, how did we get gas? Well, at that time, uh, this group that I was with was involved in various clandestine activities. Among them, we became... Uh, well, uh, how can I say this? We became known as the best gas siphoners, probably, that ever came out of the Midwest at that time. You know that I could siphon gas out of a car on the run. I could, I could hit a car. I could get four gallons out of the back of a Pontiac, running past it fast with a hose, just sucking it up. <laughs> and uh, You didn't live that kind of life, did you, Herb? Well, you're just as well off, Herb. Because uh, even to this day, I, I, uh, whenever I drive into a gas station, I smell that gas. It's like an old fire horse. I feel the urge to jump out and do a little, you know, just get, keep my hand in. Let's put it this way, keep my windpipe in. Because when you siphon, you know how you siphon, don't you? You put the thing down and you take a big... Uh, you can tell a really good siphoner against a, a second-rate one by the color of his eyeballs. You siphon too much gas and your eyeballs turn green if you're not good at it, because what happens? <laughs> the, the, the good ones can siphon gas without swallowing gas. And that's, that's a period of apprenticeship. And when you're working your way up through it, uh, I got to the point where I could tell the difference between Texaco and Gulf just by the taste. I, uh, my favorite incident, in case you're curious, is Esso, now called Exxon. Esso has a nice... Uh, uh, kind of a nice, uh, dry, after-dinner flavor, which I enjoyed. Uh, personally, I found uh, golf a little sweet for my taste, although some people may like it. But uh, uh, So that's how we kept our car in gas. Well, one day, we decided we were going to clean this, this car up. So we, it, was, it, had, it had a, you know, the kind of uh, blue that after, dark blue that after a couple of months, no matter how, what kind of a car it is, it could be a Packard, it can be a Chevy or Ford, after a couple of months, it begins to fade. And it begins to look like ink block blue. You've seen the kind of car that looks like it's a, a kind of cruddy, uh, inky blue, you know, dull. So we decided we were going to simonize this thing. Well, now, I don't know whether many of you have had any experience simonizing a car that's had 17 previous owners. And we worked and worked all day throughout Saturday, and our hands were worn. We used up cheesecloth, old towels from the house, old used underwear, the whole bit. We finally get back out Sunday morning. We finished it about, oh, 1 o'clock Sunday. And this baby gleamed. It was beautiful. It sat out in the back there. It just looked like uh, you know, like King Farouk's car. <coughs> At that point, we decided we were going to clean the upholstery. This is where it got the plot began to thicken. And Schwartz got in the back, and he took a hold of the back seat, you know, the cushion in the back, and he's pulling on the cushion, see, because it snapped in there somehow. And we were going to take the cushion out, and we were going to beat it like a rug. You know, we get all the all the uh, all the uh, dust and crud and uh, cigarette ashes and junk out of it. And we had we had gotten Schwartz's mother's vacuum cleaner, right? We were going to vacuum this thing down, 
and we got ourselves some uh, carbon tetrachloride. We're going to take our mysterious spots on the back of this thing, see? Yeah, we're spots all the bang. This was mohair upholstery. So we're struggling. Schwartz is banging around. And all of a sudden, bang, the seat comes out. Schwartz falls over backward. And then about three of us pull the seat out. We could not believe what we saw. Schwartz says, look at that. There, behind the seat, what a sight. It was fantastic. They had a, they had a metal thing. Like, you know, that there's a metal almost like a firewall between the back seat and the trunk, right? On that firewall had been welded about six or seven big metal clips. It was behind the seat. And on in those clips, there was a double-barreled 12-gauge shotgun, a thirty oh six Springfield rifle, there were several other strange-looking guns. <laughs> we stood there for a second. Oh, my God! Fantastic! And Flick made a dramatic classical error. He reached in and he grabbed one of these because he said, Look at that. That's fantastic. And a great big Roscoe. And fantastic. 38. He pulls this thing out. And at that point, Flick's father is up on the back porch and he sees it. Flick's father says, What the hell is that? And Flick says, Look at what's in the car. And Flick's old man came down and says, let me take a look at that. And here was all this artillery back there. He says, I'm calling the police. I am calling the police. You don't want to hear the rest of the story, do you? Well, I'll tell you the rest of the story, and it's a lesson, I'll tell you. We stood around in the backyard with the sun coming down, and those Roscoe's, those guns shining in. Have you ever seen a sawed-off... 12-gauge shotgun, actually. It's a mean-looking weapon. And it is not used for hunting rabbits. <laughs> the minute you see one of those, and, and there they were in the sun, in the back of our car. We'd been driving to school in this car. And all of a sudden, we began to have suspicions of what those curious stains were on the back seat of the car there. And why that car was being sold for 175 bucks. Well, ten minutes after we discovered that, and Flick's old man called the cops, there must have been 17 squad cars arrived. And they just picked up the back of that Packard with a tow truck, and they just towed that baby away, including the, uh, let's put it this way, the artillery. They grilled me, they grilled Schwartz, they grilled Flick for about half an hour each. We just, well, we bought it down to Friendly Fred, we don't know. I said, Friendly Fred? All right, give us the address of that used car dealer. He had our 175 bucks. It took us two and a half years to save that dough up. <laughs> we never saw the car again. We never saw the $175 again. We never saw the 12-gauge sawed-off shotgun again. In fact, we even used two cans of Simon Eyes on that damn thing, which we paid for. And we were right back where we started, except for one thing. All five of us had records. Oh, of course. You don't drive around town with a sawed-off shotgun in the back of your car and have the cops find it without having somebody write something down about it. <laughs> you don't believe it? <laughs> Well, I want to tell you this, friend. If, if, uh, 
If you have a used car, I would suggest that you not take the back seat off. You may find some stuff you may not want to find. On the other hand, you never guess. You never know. I know one guy. Well, that's another story. We'll save that for another night. Bring it up, please. Oh, there is magic and living everywhere, friends. There certainly is. I'd like to meet that cat that can walk like John Wayne, though. You know, I can see him go stalking across the room with them little six-gun strapped around his haunches, wearing that little cowboy hat. <laughs> W.O.R. New York.